Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. Good. How are you? Good. It seems like it's been a while since we've uh, we've done one of these. We normally are pumping them out three and four a week uh, during the season, and uh, this week I got busy with uh, car purchase and stuff happened, and and not a lot of news on the orders front, but uh, we can certainly wrap up uh, where uh, where things have gone in the last few days. Not a lot of news, and not even a lot of rumors, Bruce, about where mm-hmm. the Oilers might be going here. Like um, in terms of, you know, this Duncan Keith's been hanging on forever as an issue, but seems to be going nowhere fast, uh, which is probably good news. I mean, one of the latest rumors was from Frank Saravalli. Um, formerly of TSN. Uh, who's he with now? Daily Faceoff? Yes. Is that it? Yep. Uh, that, that the orders have taken a couple pieces off the table in terms Good. of their offer. And I don't know what that means. Who knows what that means? It's just like, is that was that just them rejecting? Was that actually them shrinking their offer? Or was that them just rejecting some of Chicago's outlandish asks in the trade? Who knows? But maybe we'll they talk were about... reading. Uh, maybe they're reading the cult of hockey for the last week and seeing all the reasons that maybe it wasn't such a, a great idea why Edmonton should be paying assets to pick up the last tail end two years of a, of a long, long, long term contract. Which is my beef with it. It's, I, I, I think Duncan Keith actually. I think he could help the team, but not at the kind of cost that we're hearing, and not at his, not at his cap hit. I think you and I have both made that point rather strenuously and uh, you don't, you don't, well, let's just talk about, let's just finish. Let's just deal with mm-hmm. Keith now since we're into it. You, you yeah. just don't pay a player over market value in the, in this current CBA um, reality with the, with the flat cap. Uh, why would you overpay for a player? Who, you know, if, why would you pay $5.5 million to a player who on an open market for the next two years, at most, Bruce, I'm going to go mm-hmm. with like some crazy offer. At most, would be four million. I think Dun- I don't think Duncan Keith's worth four million a year over the next two years. But who knows? Maybe there's some crazy team out there who would say, "Okay, Duncan Keith will give you four million over two. That would be the absolute. Like I can't imagine it, Bruce, mm-hmm. being more than that. And I think more realistically, the range, the realistic range for Duncan Keith over the next two years, one point five million at the very lowest end. I don't think he would get. A million dollars, like I, no, I a million. One point five million is the very lowest. I'm, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So, like the the people who think he's washed up as a player, blah blah blah. The market, I think, would pay him at least one point five million dollars a year over two years. And at the highest end, like the highest realistic end, I, I think we can go to like three point five. So it's somewhere in there. Three, yeah, three might be the highest reasonable end. But you never know. There might be some crazy team. Uh, there might be some team. Uh, so. So I agree. Three, three is a good number. I'll, I'll, I'll back you on that in mm-hmm. case you're listening to this. Bruce held up three fingers there. So, uh, um, all right. So, so yeah, Keith, he's worth at most three million dollars over two years on the market. How are the orders getting into any discussion that they're going to have to add on stuff? Like I could see, if you really want Keith, you take him at three, and mm-hmm. you, you could move Caleb Jones. I'm not going to squawk if that happens. You know, right. people's mileage varies on Caleb Jones's worth mm-hmm. as a player. 
If he was put on waivers, would he be taken by another team? I think so, yeah. There'd be someone who'd take Caleb Jones. But the fact yep, that I think that's a fair question, I think it's a fair question, even if someone would take him. Like, he's not, like, I think there's a faction of Oilers fans who value Caleb Jones, I think, more than the NHL GMs would value the player. I'll, I'll put it that way, and I think that's a fair comment. But the idea that you would add in Dmitry Samarukov, for instance, I just think that's insane. Like that is insanity. It's a like it's seriously, Bruce. It's a firing offense. If they were to do something like that, Jones and Samarukov for for Keith, and very little retention of of the contract. That's just that's, that would be madness. Yeah, that would be madness. The other so the I'll other name you, that's come ahead. up is Ethan Bear, and Ryan McLeod for, for Duncan Keith. I mean, come on. Yeah, come on. Exactly. Come on. You know. So he. Barron's two million dollars this year. He he played at probably a very similar level to Duncan Keith this year. I'm guessing, like all things considered, he had slightly. He didn't always play tough minutes. Ethan Bear. He was up and down, inconsistent. Leaked a few many chances. Didn't have. He he had a down year in his second year in the NHL. I'm going to argue, um, but he, you know, he wasn't paying playing top pairing minutes like Duncan Keith, but he had more points per sixty than Duncan Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So Elliot Friedman, Bruce, I'll just quickly say what Elliot Friedman said on Oilers now, since Elliot's kind of plugged in and we're not, mm. was it looked like it might be down to one team in his mind, like this trade, this whole trade thing. And it's all apparently, rumor has it, contingent on him being able to visit his son. And so he might want to be in a Canadian team in case, case the borders get shut. And who knows? There's, this is all speculation from insiders. But anyway, he wants to seems firm, you know, as far as that kind of information goes, firm enough. He wants to be in Edmonton because there's flights to to the Okanagan from here. Uh, easier flights that might be in jeopardy if there was another lockdown. Um, so Friedman is saying the owners have essentially made their final offer. And mm-hmm. they're just, you know, like telling to Chicago to crap or get off the pot, essentially. Like, what are you going to do? You, you take him this right. or not? And no. it doesn't sound like it includes Ethan Barry or Ryan McLeod. Better not. Completely agree, and also Dmitry Stamarukov, who who I would argue is 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 as valuable a piece as Ryan McLeod. I think, like the way he played in the top Russian, but yeah, I mean he played great hockey uh, in the top Russian league. He was one of you know he was in he was in one of the handful. I think of like he was top four or top pairing and for Moscow, one of the best teams, and he had one of the best plus minuses. And when you watched him play, he was steady. He was effective. He was really good. He's a great big guy. I think he's 21 years old. Man, you do not move him for Duncan Keith. Like the, the, the notion that that Chicago was Chicago's valuation. Maybe they of Duncan Keith seems like crazy. Talk to me. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, the point's been made. I mean, that, that Keith is on the tail end of his contract. So Chicago buying them out would only save very marginal dollars for Chicago because they're only buying out, getting a fraction of the actual money they want. If you want to save money by a buyout, here's a deal for you. You send the Oilers Duncan Keith, the Oilers send you James Neal. You can buy out James Neal and you can save $3.8 million off your cap the next two years. You really want to do it? There's your deal. Bruce, I don't think they're going to do it. I'm just saying they're, they're, that's, they're that's not, the counter. I, that's, that's the counter offer. You want to save cap room? That's how you can do it. Well, that's the low ball. Like if you're lowballing Chicago on the way uh, on the way back, that's mm-hmm. what you're offering. I, think. I don't well, think you're I, addressing I think, their concern about the cap. 
Because I think Duncan Keith has a chance to be a good, decent second pairing defenseman next year, Bruce. I don't think James Neal has an honestly decent ch- chance to be a decent. So you're you're giving a player who could be a decent second pairing guy for a guy who really deserves to be bought out. And I don't, you know, hmm. so so what you can you get a better buyout proposition for, from it. I don't think oh, that's I'm much saying. of a sweetener necessarily. You know, I would love it if the Oilers could make that deal. But I think that's a very Oilers-friendly deal. I'm I'm thinking more like if they buy out, if they buy out half the contract, even like even 40%, like the, the, the last range we heard, it was from Brian Lawton, that Chicago was, was thinking about uh, a deal where they, he was suggesting at least that this might be in the cards. That Chicago, the closer you get to the expansion draft, the more desperate Chicago becomes to move this player. So they are willing to do a 30 to 50% retention on Keith's salary. Caleb Jones comes the other way. If that's the frame of the deal, Bruce, it's reasonable enough. Mm -hmm. And not having seen Duncan Keith, so I can't can't comment on in the moment of uh, what his real value is fairly inaccurately. I don't, I don't think that's fair for me. So it's, it strikes me as reason that I'm not going to like lose my mind and squawk and complain. If that was the deal, if that's the parameters of the deal, I know a lot of people will not be happy with that, but, but I will withhold judgment on it personally. What would your take be if that was the deal? 30 to 50% retention, Caleb Jones for Keith. Well, it's a little more tolerable than taking a hundred percent of Keith under any circumstances. Yeah. You know, the Oilers have cap space, and the purpose of Oilers' cap space isn't to create cap space for Chicago so they can sign Seth Jones. It is not. As yeah. shocking as that may sound to to some, I don't like the, mm-hmm. the people who are defending the idea that the Oilers should trade Keith and take on his whole salary. And there's people doing that. Like I've I've heard that mm-hmm. notion that uh, mm-hmm. that's in the cards. Well, like they call, they call it the Windy City for a reason, maybe. Because that's, uh, I think that kind of talk is going on in Chicago. City of broad shoulders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who wrote that great poem on Chicago? I can't remember who it was. Uh, uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, Chicago. My kind of town, my kind of town. <laughs> is, that, is that from the movie? Chicago, Chicago. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I, I, I'm just saying, if they're literally talking about buying out Duncan Keith, then we got a better buyout candidate that they can offer in exchange. You know, if you want to talk turkey, uh, I don't know that they're going to buy out Keith, but I think they're trying to finesse him and trying to overvalue him and suck Edmonton into thinking this is a guy you just absolutely got to have and you got to pay our price. And then, oh, yeah, maybe you better pay a little bit more. Better buy those floor mats while you're at it. You know, I've just been buying cars, right? So. <laughs> here, here it is, Bruce. Carl Sandberg. Uh-huh. Carl Sandberg. I'll just give the first stanza of the poem. Uh, and the poem is called Chicago. It's a famous one. Hog butcher for the world. Tool maker. Stacker of wheat. Player with railroads and the nation's freight handler. Stormy. Husky. Brawling. City of the Big Shoulders. Wow. So that's what we're dealing with here. And mm-hmm. it's time to take that city with the big shoulders and check them freaking hard into the boards and say, take it or leave it. You know, we're not taking on the whole contract. Right. You can, you, you, we will, we'll give you Jones and mm-hmm. deal. That's the deal. Take it or leave it. 
See you we're later. the tail of the con long contract that you yeah. guys set up to your advantage. Why should we pay full freight for the tail? Yeah. And otherwise, yeah, okay. You know, figure it, figure it out. You know, take your big broad shoulders and go to the quiet room and figure it out. If you're not, if you're not going to take this deal, you live with it. All right. We've dealt with that. So we're, we're going to also talk about Bruce on this podcast, Tampa, Tampa, um, um, James, buyouts for James Neal and Miko Koskinen, uh, some of the discussion around that. Possibility for Zach Hyman, maybe Taylor Hall coming to Edmonton, Jaden Schwartz, we could throw that name in. There's a few other interesting names, possibly. Uh, but we'll start with, with just saying adieu a, a to a, a former owner's coach and a heck of a interesting NHL hockey player, Bugsy Watson. Mm. And um, he died today. Uh, my condolences to his family. He was uh, he was an interesting hockey player, Bruce. He wasn't a big guy. Maybe just look it up here. He wasn't a big oh, guy. Oh, five nine, one seventy five, maybe. He was one of the toughest um, hockey players of the brawling era of the NHL, which is the nineteen seventies. And uh, he died today at seventy eight. He's interesting in Oiler history because. What was it, 81 that he was named the coach? 81, yep. Yeah. Second and year in the NHL. He didn't last. He lasted, what, 17, 18 games, and he didn't win much, and Sather fired him and took over, and the rest is history. Four wins, nine losses, five ties. Remember those? So maybe if we were in the era of Bettman points, we'd have two or three extra overtime or shootout wins, and, and Watson would have been able to hang around. But uh, he was. Uh, you always, you always, it always comes back to that, doesn't it? Bruce? Little, little, little guy. Tons of, tons of character in the, in the old sense of the word. You know, very, very, uh, very funny, personable guy. Uh, his face looked like he'd been, he'd fallen off the turnip truck several times over and been dragged behind it for about thirty miles. Uh, as a player. Most famously, he was the guy who was tasked with the assignment of shadowing Bobby Hull in the 1966 playoffs when he was with Detroit. And Bobby Hull was, of course, then uh, the record goal scorer. He'd broken Rocket Richard's record with uh, <clears throat> scoring over 50 goals in, in the season. And uh, Watson, I think he held Hull to two goals in the series by absolutely the most nefarious tactics imaginable. He was just all over him. And he was uh, 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 greased him up. Hull even resorted to fighting with Watson at one point during the season, which wasn't generally Hull's normal style. But Watson was just so in his face for 60 minutes of every game in that series. And Detroit did pull off the upset and make it to the Stanley Cup Finals in, uh, in 66. And Watson was uh, uh, part of the reason why they did. Think, think of him as a... Claude Lemieux, but about 30 years earlier. I think he did that style of player. Uh, maybe a little more willing to drop the gloves and go at it, you know. But uh, in terms of his, uh, it's just kind of his in-your-facedness. He was Kevin uh, Bieksa. Well, uh, he was a yeah, he was a cussed little guy and and talk 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 right and and really drove his opponents around. Was he the a band. defenseman at that time for Detroit? He was both. He he played right wing in that series because he matched up straight against Bobby Hull. Every shift. Wow. So, so that, that Detroit both. that Detroit team had a 37-year-old Gordie Howe, 
<laughs> and a 38-year-old Bill Gadsby. Talk mm-hmm. about a team. Trying to win his first cup, and he never got one, Bill Gadsby. Bridged the eras, eh? So I'm going to give major credit to Bugsy Watson. He mm-hmm. was a regular player on a original six team when it, back when it was the original six. Absolutely. That's a hell of an achievement. You're a hell of a hockey player. Um, if you make the lineup of one of those original six teams in the 1960s or 50s, like whenever, the, you know, good for him. Like, heck of a player. He went on to play in total in the regular season, Bruce, uh, 877 regular season hockey games in the NHL. So, again, that's a remarkable achievement as a hockey player. His coaching record was less than stellar in Edmonton. How many, he never how many actually, penalty minutes? 2,212 in 877 games. He, he topped That's out a lot. 322 <laughs> penalty minutes and 79 games for Detroit in 75-76. So, oh. uh, That's a lot. That's a lot. How old is there now, by the way? I wonder. He's oh, he's, late, he's getting up there. Yeah, he was uh, 1964. He was 20, I believe, when he was with the Oil Kings. He won the Memorial Cup with the Oil Kings in 63. So he would have been right around 20 then, and that's 58 years ago. So in his late 70s. Doug Burke. All right. I was just looking at the Detroit roster. First, let's Roger, talk a Roger little bit Crozier of, won the Conn Smythe that year, 66, even though they lost in the finals. Do you remember? Do you actually remember? I, I was like four. Do you remember watching those games yourself? Oh, sure. Yeah, Detroit yeah. won the first two games of the finals. Uh, I think it was 3-2 and 5-2, and then Montreal came on strong and won the last four games. They got the winning goal in overtime in the Olympia game six. Henri Richard swatted it into the net with his hand, and somehow it was legal because he was a hab. I think, and there was a huge rhubarb to end the season. It was actually quite unforgettable how that season wound out. It reminds me of how England <laughs> just got into the World Cup final here against. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. Yeah, I was cheer. I'm cheering for England like crazy, but uh, Bruce, that was an iffy penalty call on Raheem Sterling, and then the, um, the 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 prospect that the goalie might have been zapped in the eyes with that um, uh, laser. Uh, is did you see the picture? There was a I, picture of no, the I did, laser I, I, mark on his face. Someone was beaming a laser at him oh, when no. uh, when uh, Harry Harry Kane was firing that uh, ball into the net. Now it's not clear if it ever hit him in the eyes, but it might have. I, I don't think the claim is that it hit him in the eyes, but that was shocking and it's disgusting that mm-hmm. a that a fan would ever do that. If you're ever in an arena and you see a fan with a laser pointing at just 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 immediately call i was i was gonna say punch him in the head don't yeah. punch him in the head immediate or grab his laser immediately yell at him like asshole put that away and mm-hmm. call go get security and say i'm some, gonna go get security right now some dumbass actually did that at a canucks game here i was on hockey night in canada maybe six or eight years ago and that there was an image of the goalie getting the green laser pointer on the eyes of visiting goalie and they could tell you know like it was didn't take a rocket scientist from the behind the net cam to tell exactly where the thing was coming from. So they nailed that guy. Good. I, I think he got not only escorted from the building, but directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. And yeah, don't don't my initial react. Don't <laughs> punch him in the head. And and you know the reason you'd yell at the guy to do it is because there's could be harm right in the moment. Like it's oh. not like there's imminent danger for someone yes. on the ice and. Um, now, of course, someone who would do that is either to- like just totally immature and doesn't understand it or is in- insane. So don't do anything but go get the authorities would be my. 
believe it or not, David, I actually hold in my wallet a little certificate that says I am uh, uh, I am trained in the ability to use a green laser pointer, which is basically illegal uh, because of the danger that they pose to uh, pilots. If a pilot gets a green laser in the eye, the, you know, it could result in a plane wow. crash. And so there's very, very strict rules that with the, uh, you know, the aviation authorities, the government and so on about using green laser pointers. As an astronomer and astronomy educator, I use them to point out constellations and, you know, I, for a very benign purpose. But if there's an airplane in the vicinity, the thing has to go in my pocket. There, there's very hard and fast rules about them, those things. They yeah. are dangerous because they can disable the vision of somebody in a high-stress situation. And you know, I, I, I also understand, Bruce, that you also once killed a man with a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. I, I've forgotten that one. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Buyouts. We're in the buyout window right now, apparently. I think we are. I don't yes. know. Seems like it's 24 I, to 48 hours. I've been reading both, but uh, the, the excellent heart of Puckpedia, uh, uh-huh. I queried him directly, and he said that the window opened uh, uh, midnight last night, and uh, effectively it was today. So we're there, and uh, the decisions are going to start to trickle in now. Players it it lasts for a couple of weeks, like it, it, till till the free agent period starts. Just the day so, before. So the point I want to make is this. Um, mm-hmm. The owners are looking at James Neal and yep. Koskinen. So we'll look at the merits of both of those, okay? But my thought is, Bruce, that it's probably best for the owners just to wait to the second buyout period. Mm-hmm. Because the worst thing you could do would be buy out James Neal or Miko Koskinen. And then you're, you've targeted a number of free agents. You get none of them. And you just have all this money then sitting there not going to use. This is the Benoit Pouliot scenario where they bought out Pouliot and then wait, didn't use the cap space. This is the worst thing that could happen as far as I'm concerned. So mm-hmm. what you want, because both players, you can make an argument, both players have some value still as players. It's better to have them on hand as players than just to buy them out and have them uh, go somewhere else and sign, you know, minim, league minimum contracts or whatever they would get. And so the second buyout window is the one I'm interested in. And I think that would be a better strategy for the Oilers. And, and all that it has to do to trigger it, from my reading of Puckpedia, or no, it was cap friendly. Is the orders have to take someone to arbitrate? They have to, they have to offer arbitration, and uh, if the player turns it down, I think, then they, the orders could take them to arbitration, and that would, mm-hmm. trick. or they could take two players that they haven't offered, that they haven't offered uh, the qualifying offers to. Let's say, um, who do they have to qualify? Cahoon and. Marode, say. Mm-hmm. let's say that's those two players they don't offer them qualifying offers because they want to actually lower their salaries mm-hmm. for the coming right. year that would also trigger it if they took those two players to arbitration mm-hmm. um for for edmonton so so it seems like it's fairly doable to trigger that second period if i'm if i'm correct about this and correct me if i'm wrong if you're listening to this <sighs> could be wrong but i see a real advantage just waiting mm-hmm. um before before you know if you need that money or not and see if you can move the contract, see if you can get maybe someone to eat half of Koskinen's contract on some deal. I don't think anyone's going to eat James Neal's contract, honestly, but um, what do you, so what do you think of that, Bruce? Wait as opposed to now? Oh, yeah, the idea of the second buyout window is that if a team does get taken to arbitration and they lose the hearing and all of a sudden, you know, their budget's gone to pot, one of the ways that they can work out of it is by by opening that second buyout window and 
and using it to buy a player out. Now, the history of arbitration, the Oilers have had very few cases over the years, and there's fewer and fewer around the league because I think both sides of a given negotiation realize it can be harmful both ways to have a negotiation where the basically the uh, 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 the owner or you know the team and the players stand in front of each other and the team lists all the reasons why the players suck so they shouldn't have to pay them you know and then they turn around and say well no, we got you back we want you to, you know we want to be buddy buddy with you again it just has has proven to be harmful so usually they solve those cases before arbitration I'd hate to think that would be uh, you know they they would artificially do arbitrations just to open a buyout window. My thought is they'll just use the buyout window that exists between now and July 27th, which is the day before a free agency, which is basically when Kyle Turris got bought out last year, right at the end of the buyout window. But this year, there's a, a window in between, in the middle of there, where everything's frozen for the uh, Seattle expansion. So somewhere around July 17th to the 21st or 22nd, there's no trades allowed except with Seattle, and there's no buyouts. All all of those machinations are shut down. So there there are in a sense two buyout windows, but they're both like you know a week apart, uh, with the uh, uh, everything having to be resolved before free agency. So that leaves open your concern that if they do buy out James Neal and they go to free agency and they completely strike out and don't get anybody, that they wind up with a with a big. Uh, uh, amount of cap space available that they're not using. No, then they would have the option of making a trade for a more expensive player. Like there's still ways that they could. Yeah, uh, they could still they use could that cap, cap so, space during the year. That's that's mm-hmm. a possibility. So it's not the the end of the world. I guess um, like you don't want to have bad faith with players. Mm-hmm. Like like the let's mm-hmm. say you have these two players that you haven't qualified and you want to get them at mm-hmm. lower. It would have to actually probably be what you actually want to do with right. those players. So it couldn't be a bad faith move on the owner's part, but there might be a couple of players like that who are in that situation. Um, so, uh, you know, Kara and Cahoon <laughs> both come to mind. Uh, where well, they could take the Oilers to arbitration too, and but they, you they can take necessarily the Oilers. count on Yeah, but you can't count on that. So you, so you have to uh, figure that out. Okay, so let's just, let's talk about the merits of mm-hmm. both buyouts. I understand that Jason Greger was delving into this today, Bruce. What was his yeah. argument about the Koskinen Neal buyouts? Oh, he he was thinking that the guy to buy out between the two of them, if they're going to do one, and that's kind of, kind of the, uh, I think the sort of starting position from what Holland said at the end of the season presser was that they are strongly considering doing buyouts, but it seems unlikely they would buy out two different players, and clearly Koskinen and Neal are at the at the top of the list, like you could buy out Kyle Turris, but there, you know, there's very little to be gained from from that one. So it's more likely to be Koskinen, where uh, he would, um, instead of being paid 4.5 million for the last year of his contract, he would get 1.5 million for each of the next two years, and be gone. And the Oilers would have three million worth of cap space to sign another goalie or what have you uh, in 21-22. Uh, uh, the other one with James Neal, uh, he's got two years to go at $5.75 million. And so to buy him out, they would wind up with a cap hit of 1.9, a cap penalty of $1.9 million for four years. But it would open up $3.8 million for each of the next two years. So a significant uh, uh, addition to the cap space. And 
to me, he's he's the choice for me of uh, which one to be bought out. And that, uh, uh, you know, at five and three quarter million dollars, he's the third highest paid forward on the club. And, you know, he's just, um, I mean, he's basically, it seems like he's reached the, the cliff or, or certainly the downside of the hill. He scored since uh, calendar turned to 2020, uh, a year and a half ago, five goals in all that time, five goals. And that's 42 games. I mean, he's been hurt. He's, he got sick, you know. But, uh, and so part of that, you can say, well, poor guy. But part of it, you can say, well, he's 34 years old. And it's, you know, the, all the bumps and bruises and the years are starting to catch up with his body. And he's, you know, he's slower than he was, like, to uh, to the eye. I thought he would, you know, he looked a day late and a dollar short on a lot of nights where, you know, he just wasn't getting to the places he needed to get to in time to do the damage that he used to do. And his shot rates have fallen off. His ice time has dropped off. And you could, for the 3.8 million, you could wind up, I think, finding a, a much better player on the open market than... Uh, than you could by just keeping James Neal and paying him his existing contract. Here's from the original Puzar on this uh, mm-hmm. this idea of delaying arbitration mm-hmm. or, or using the second buyout window mm-hmm. is the idea. Yeah. So his idea is a player, it's triggered by a player filing for arbitration. That's the most obvious way that it happens, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, I've been promoting uh, having a deal agreed to with Cahoon or Kara but not signing it until later. Qualify that player, have them file for arbitration, and then settle later before the hearing. Gives Holland more time to ascertain if he needs to buy out dollars. So um, Ira Cooper is a lawyer, a, yeah. a smart guy, and this is a lawyer's mind at work here, a smart guy's mind I was mind trying to working. say. <laughs> so very sneaky, I like it. I, and again, Bruce, <laughs> look, look at what Bruce, look at what Tappa just did. If the Oilers mm-hmm. aren't thinking about this, they're not doing their job right. at this point. If you're not yeah. thinking outside the box like this, mm-hmm. yeah. you're not doing your job. You use every tool and lever that you can to get ahead in the NHL. And mm-hmm. I'm if this worked, this 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 could work. I'd mm-hmm. say uh, go for it. Now we'll we'll see if that were if that were to happen or not. But I like it. I like I like it. Now. One one of the considerations here is uh, th- the whole justification for the Neil for Lucic trade when it happened was this very fact that Neil could be bought out, whereas Lucic effectively couldn't. His contract was structured in such a way by Peter Shirelli that uh, even a buyout wouldn't work. It, it would free up so little cap space it wouldn't even pay for his replacement, let alone open up yeah. any room for another guy for a replacement level player. Like it was just because everything he got was in bonuses. I think his salary is like a million dollars for the last couple of years and everything else is bonus. Yeah. So the whole point of getting Neil was, I mean, the org is actually paying Neil effectively more than they paid Lucic because they retained 750,000. They're paying Neil 5.75. So he's costing them 6.5, like literally half million more and Lucic, his production is about the same as Lucic. Uh, and the big advantage of this guy is that they do have the opportunity to buy him out. So they either pull the trigger on that or, to me, almost they lose the trade. I wouldn't worry about losing the trade, Bruce. Or It doesn't really, to me, it doesn't matter. Like, what, ma- what, what matters? What the point of it then? Well, Lucic had to go. That was, that was one point. 
Okay. He was not, he was too slow. He wasn't fitting in. It, it was, he was not product producing his terrible, his production was terrible in his last two years as an oiler. He was a defensive liability. He had to go. So you're, you're moving him for the best deal you can with the least amount of poison pill that you can. So, but it's, it's kind of like, the, it's a different debate almost. The debate now to me is you have this player is, you know, can you use that cap space that he represents better than using it on him? That's the, that's the only issue. And, and I don't know the answer to that. So, um, if they can't, you know, was, is Neil beyond the pale? Can he not play in the NHL anymore? No, I think actually as a fourth liner, he's not ideal, but I could see another team signing James Neal to a one-year contract at yeah. a minimum, minimum salary. So I don't like, he's the kind of Corey he's, he's been on teams to the Stanley cup final. He was right. against Chicago. He was good in the playoffs. He wasn't good this year. He was coming off COVID this year. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's a slam dunk that James Neal is washed up as an NHL or has no value and that you have to buy him out. I just think if you can use that money better, then do it. And if you can't, don't. But the the Koskinen thing, to me, he the orders really do, I believe, have a need in that. And you so you could come back with Koskinen and Mike Smith. And you know, Mike Smith, he was a pretty he just had a great year. He had a great year. Could he have another great year? Yes. It's kind of a coin flip, I'm going to suggest. Mm-hmm. Could Koskinen yep. rebound? He had a pretty, he had a good year prior to this last one Koskinen did, and last year was mediocre. Could he come back and have a good year? Yes. Mm-hmm. So have, like, it's kind of two coin flips on both these players. Maybe you'll muddle through if you go with them. But is that the best idea to kind of muddle through with these two? Or should you turn to a younger goalie in his 20s and look for a real future number one goalie right now for the Oilers. Um, you know, you also have Stuart Skinner who just had a really strong AHL season. Maybe the best idea is to struggle through with Koskinen and uh, Mike Smith and see how Stuart Skinner and Konovalov develop in the AHL because that might be the answer, the cheapest answer for your goaltending problems going forward. But it's kind of attractive idea to buy out Koskinen this year. And if, if you think you can get a goalie who could be your number one goalie kind of in the t- cam t- Talbot class of guys in their 25 to 30 who've been second pairing have done really well in that second pairing role. Um, and now are available to the Oilers at a, at a reasonable price. And the name that comes up again and again is Chris Dreger. So, so class that's out. kind of an attractive notion in terms of using the buyout on Koskinen as opposed to Neil and kind of struggling through with Neil one more year. And then, and then taking advantage of his, his buyout ability and winning the Lucic trade a year from now, rather than right now, because you just, now there's a different priority, a bigger priority, and that's bringing in another goalie. And, and I'm not saying that's what I would do. Like it's for me, it's kind of 50, 50, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of who you would buy out right now. Um, you'd have to have a really good sense. You could get that goalie if it's going right. to be cost. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so it, in some ways the decision comes down to what's your best bet. And maybe you wait till after then that you wait till after the bout period and you see, Oh, did, did we get the forward or did we get the goalie? If we got the goalie, then it's Koskinen. And if we got the forward, then it's Neil. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. I mean, sure. I'll buy that logic. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, I, I, I didn't I, persuade I, you. I'm not counting on that second buyout window. The order, it hasn't been available to the orders for years because of their 
history with arbitration. But uh, uh, I mean, it would be nice to have that knowledge in advance. Which free agents do, can you sign so we can get rid of that guy? But the way yeah. it's set up is you have to get rid of the guy and make the room and then use the money to buy. You know, so if you if you if you move Koskinen and you wind up signing a left winger and not a goalie, then I mean, obviously they're going to sign a goalie, but I mean, not a, not a not necessarily uh, the one you want. So it's uh, uh, it, it's uh, it's a tricky equation. Lots of balls in the air. Here, here's one for you. Uh, there's all this talk about trading Caleb Jones. There's all this talk about Seth Jones wanting out of Columbus, and then people saying, "Well, if Chicago, for instance, were to get Caleb Jones, that would maybe help them convince uh, uh, Seth Jones to come to Chicago." Here's an idea: you offer Caleb Jones to Columbus. You say, we're going to give you the Seth's brother, and maybe you can convince Seth that he wants to stay and play with his brother. And, oh, yeah, we'll throw in Koskinen, and you send one of your two goalies to us. So so you could apply that <laughs> argument to any team, Bruce. Like, you could say to Dallas, you want to sign right. Seth Jones? Okay, here's Caitlin. I'm targeting Columbus because he's you, there already. Well, you Seth could do Jones. Columbus. You could do any other team. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's a broader offer, and right. you you will retain half of Koskinen's contract. Probably the Oilers would say, and and you take it and oh, then. You, but you know what? This is buy. You got first of all to 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 consider. You have to buy the premise mm-hmm. that Seth Jones is so keen to play with Caleb uh, Jones that he will pull every I, string I, in the book to <laughs> to move to the team where Seth where where Caleb's playing. I don't, Bruce, I don't buy that. I don't either. I, I don't buy I, it. I've, not, I've read don't. nothing that says the brothers are particularly that bonded that that's a likely to, to happen. I think that's one of these sort of fan talk. Well, they want to play with his brother. Yeah, well, maybe he would. But, you know, maybe he's maybe he's uh, uh, Scott Niedermeyer and he's going to sign with the team where his brother's playing. But I doubt it. The, mo- the most likely thing, like, so let's say that you're right. And the second arbitration window that I'm speculating about is kind of just speculation. And, and you know, it's kind of, a, it's what's sneaky, tricky, uh, clever people think about. And it's something the Oilers would never actually do. Uh, um, what would be possible though, Bruce, is, is that um, just before the free agency period starts, like in the last few days when the buyouts are still open, the Oilers will, will have a really good sense of what's going to be open to them in free agency and what isn't, what's realistic. So so that's when you might see the timing of the buyout might be then. They'll have a really good idea that they're, they're really in on Hyman or they're really in on Dreger or something like that right. and not on the other guy. And that's when they they might make their move in right terms of a buyout. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is it, that yeah. probably makes the most sense, I'm going to suggest. Well, that's when Nashville bought out tourists last year. They yeah. waited right till the very end and pulled the trigger and not quite sure who they bought on free agency thereafter, but they used the whole window. There's no, I don't see there's any particular advantage to pulling the trigger right away. Yeah. And I don't see any NHL teams rushing. We're not, I'm looking at the NHL coverage right now and I'm not, I mean, just see so far, I don't see any buyouts. It's not happening. So. Well, uh, for, for most of them, you have to wait. The first indication is that they get put on waivers for purpose of being bought out. So a lot of that news will come in at 10 o'clock in the morning on a given day that the waiver wire gets declared. So uh, if you're keen on seeing buyouts, you know, check the NHL feeds at 5 after 10 in the morning and you got an idea of what's uh, what might be ticking there. But, okay, let's move on and let's talk sure. about... Uh, Zach Hyman. So the the last news from Friedman on Oilers now today. This is a 
Friday, um, July 9th is, um, and who knows when we'll do the next podcast. Hopefully the news will be coming a little bit faster and more furiously. Uh, the la- the last news on Hyman from, from uh, the credible source, Elliot Friedman, is that um, it's not looking good in Toronto. So if, if nothing changes in Toronto, um, he's not staying there. He's going to test the free agency market. And, it, you know, of course, Toronto could have this player. The, the rumor is, and I don't know where this comes from, I think multiple sources at this point, that the Leafs have offered something in the lines of four years at $4.25 million for Hyman, which for a player of his stature, age, free agency, is a, is a really low ball. It's at least a million dollars probably under his, what he's going to get. Probably a lot more. Like, he, that's, what, $17 million over four years? He, he, you could see Hyman getting $30 million on a contract, you know, guaranteed $36 million on a contract, Bruce. So this is significantly huge, massive home down discount. He'd be probably crazy to take that given the short shelf life of mm-hmm. NHL players. And um, looking forward, that's a lot of many millions of dollars to turn down. Toronto could offer more if they would move a player like Nylander, I guess. Um, but they don't choose to do that. So so to me, this yeah. is to me, this is partly Toronto saying, this is what we have for you. But it's also them saying we we really don't want you um, at a at the price that the market's going to give you. That's not mm-hmm. we we value Nylander more than we value you at your market price. And so I don't know if that's concerning or not for any future team looking at getting him. That Toronto's making that judgment about this player that they don't they don't think he's as good a bet heading into his thirties as they think Nylander is right now. I think that's a sane position for Toronto to take. Nylander is a younger player. When when I saw him play this year, I thought he was fantastic. So so Friedman said the possibilities, a couple of possibilities, much rumored, and, and he just gave two, tr- tr- uh, Edmonton and Detroit. I'm sure there are others. Like if oh. Zach Hyman goes to free agency, there's going to be six or seven teams, I, I would guess, in on, in on a player like that. Mm-hmm. What's your thought on him, Bruce? Are you keen? Like if it, like, you know, would you like to see him sign with the orders at, free agency ufa market value which is like between probably i'm going to guess 5.5 and 6 million dollars a year over about four five six years does that sound about right yeah that's a lot of, that's a lot of lettuce uh i mean he's he's a very very good player uh he uh uh he broke through as a college player and he came he had one year in the minors joined toronto with their fantastic rookie class of uh 2015-16 and uh, he's had five good years in a row, and I would argue four outstanding years in a row, where he's had consistently put up about 40 points, uh, but in declining number of games in part due to COVID, and been you know big double-digit plus player, outscorer like big-time outscorer year after year, uh, with uh, you know plus 72 on his career now, five-year career. And in the parody NHL, it's pretty darn good. Now, some of that, of course, is the quality of line mates that he's playing with. But the fact is that Zach Hyman makes his line better. He really is a, a good uh, 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 glue player. Glue player, yeah. yeah. He's a he's a glue, glue player. player, and he's a guy. You know, you put him on Connor McDavid's wing, and uh, the McDavid line is going to be better. There's just no two ways about it. Is it worth five and a half for you know a long-term commitment? He's already 29 years old. How long can he keep going? I would suggest he's going to you know 
for the foreseeable future, but I don't know that I would be willing to bet on six years for a 29-year-old, you know, takes him to yeah. age 34. And uh, I, I would be happier with, you know, three or four years. But uh, the way free agent market has traditionally worked is that the most desirable players sign six- and seven-year deals on day one. Yeah. This is like, so we about half of the, these deals really work out badly, I think, for the team that... Uh, Maybe even higher than half, but at least half of them. If you're signing a winger, 28, 29-year-old winger, 30-year-old winger, about half of those deals really go south. And they they go south fast, and it's horror. Usually, usually, usually it's fast. Mm-hmm. Like with Louis Erickson and Andrew Ladd. And like, it's usually not. It's just bad from right from the start almost. So Zach Hyman, Bruce finished for NHL regular forwards. He finished 57th out of more than 400 forwards. So he was a top line uh, forward, obviously this year. Points for, for sixty. Points for sixty. Two point four six points per oh, sixty. That's nice. By concer- by comparison, Taylor Hall this year had um, uh, one point eight six points per sixty. He finished one hundred and fifty first. Uh, so he he outscored any. This is two. If you go over two years, and it's good to have a bigger sample size on points per sixty. The last two years. Hyman is 60th in the NHL for NHL forwards. Bruce, 2.32 points per 60. Hall is 132nd. So Hall scoring like a second line winger the last two years at 1.96 per 60. Um, Jaden Schwartz is right in the same ballpark as in as Hall for both years. He's another UFA. Um, so there's some there's some different players out there who are kind of interesting. Hall, Schwartz. I, I'm going to guess they'd be less expensive than than Zach Hyman. I guess I kind of I, I'm going to admit it right now. I kind of have an irrational attachment to Zach Hyman as a free mm-hmm. agent because I see him as a glue player. I see him as the Chris Kunitz for Sidney Crosby. I've made this comparison before. He strikes me as a very similar kind of player. And Kunitz, he he came to. Um, he came to the Pittsburgh Penguins at a similar age, and he was great for six or seven years. Helped that team to win win in the playoffs, win at least one Stanley Cup, maybe two when he was there, and was a, was a great line mate for Sidney Crosby. So that's, that's the narrative in my head, which is probably a false narrative, and I should dispel it. But I, it's, it's there. Like, I, I, you know, mm-hmm. once, once you see it, you can't not see it. So that's that's where I'm at with Hyman. I, I would be open to the Oilers pursuing this player, even though I know that by and large these contracts go south and they go south fast. So I, I really think the best model for the Oilers is, <laughs> is to get a, a player on a Tyson Berry contract, like the Thomas Tatar option or maybe Jaden Schwartz is going to fit into this category where you give a player a, a like a one- or a two-year deal, Bruce, mm-hmm. and three or four million a year. And you try him out there. And in the meantime, you give Raphael Lavoie and um, Carter Savoy. Is it Carter Savoy? Is that the right one? There's two Savoys. Carter Savoy and Matthew Savoy is the other one. And um, right. And players like this, time to develop and see what you got there while you're... Because that's really the, the answer for the Oilers. Almost certainly, Bruce, isn't this UFA, like signing UFA to a long-term deal... It's, it's the, and we're going to segue here to the Tampa model. It's doing what Tampa did, which is a continual development of players in the AHL, which for the Oilers has been crazy talk for a long time because they didn't draft well enough and develop well enough to have that happen. But they are finally drafting and developing well enough, it looks like to me, where this should be a realistic possibility. 
we're we're actually looking for this steady stream mm-hmm. of players, just like Tampa has had to re, re, to to build your your roster without killing your salary cap. Yeah, well, Tyson Barry's a you know he's the poster boy for that in terms of he came in for one year for a you know a reasonable amount. And while he was playing here, uh, you know, Evan Bouchard is one year, I would say, closer now to taking over that job. If they'd signed Tyson Berry for multiple years, he would have been a full-out roadblock to uh, Bouchard rather than a speed bump. So that one-year solution has uh, certainly has some appeal. The question is, do they have wingers of the quality in the system that uh, that can grow into the role? Uh, as for Chris Kunitz... When Pittsburgh acquired him by trade, not as yeah. free agent. Paid a he high was already price. he was already under contract, a four year deal at three point seven million, not too bad. And he was only in the first year of that four year deal. So Pittsburgh traded for not just the player, but for the cost certainty for several years ahead. Uh, and then they wound up signing him to to two extensions and he never even he never got to four million bucks. He just basically stayed at the same same level, high threes. And he played in Pittsburgh for like nine years, and yeah. uh, he was a you know a, a staple on on Crosby's wing. But they paid you know they 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 paid a high price in trade capital. They traded Ryan Whitney to and get a first, I believe, also, to get uh, Kunitz, and so Maybe not a uh, first. Uh, yeah, they paid this Ryan Whitney, who was trending to be a number one D man. So they paid at one end, but on the contract, you're right. Now the cap was lower then. So yep. um, it's probably what in the sixty million dollar range back then, something like that. So he, his, you know, it's mm-hmm. in terms of percentage, of cap yeah. Closer. So you know, the owners, you know, Hyman is that kind of player right now. Like he's that's a good comparable for him right now. But Chris Kunitz did something which is not normal for a player of that ilk. He kept it going into right. his thirties for a long time. And he that's sure the did. exception. Not the rules. So the owners have already made a bet on one guy, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, that he's going to rebound from his crappy scoring year at even strength and last till he's 33, 34, 35. They already have one bet like that. Do you really want to make another? Because if you do, um, and the, and one of them goes south, one of, that's a huge impediment. We already see with yeah. Milan Lucic. We don't, we have a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Oilers are still dealing with the repercussions with the James Neal contract. We see it with Neal. We see it with Lucic, the downside of these contracts. You know, do you really want to go down that road with more than one player right now? With more than Nugent Hopkins? You've already done it once. Like, maybe the really prudent thing to do is to lay off and go for a shorter-term bet on a Jaden Schwartz or a Thomas Tatar. And, um, you know... Encountering that is just the you know the hope that you could win a cup with Zach Hyman you know that he, he solves your problem with McDavid and right. you have Hyman McDavid and Puliyarvi on the one line and then you have the dynamite line on the other and um, you know you got Duncan Keith the veteran on defense and maybe you've brought in maybe you found a way to bring in a really good goalie too and and you can go for the cup which is a very tantalizing because it's so you know there's 31 teams it's hard to win the cup you got to take risks. Okay. So they're weighing these two things. It's not easy, Bruce. It's not easy. I don't think it's an easy decision. No. Let's, uh, Bruce, Jim Matheson of the Journal made an interesting comment because um, he said, Oiler fans are all over the map. A vocal segment wants no part of Duncan Keith. 
because he's old, says Jim Matheson. Makes mm-hmm. 5.5 million for two years. It's 5.4 million for two years. I think it's 5.5 million for two mm-hmm. years. And his game's dropped off. But want them to investigate trade for Tarasenko, who's had two shoulder surgeries, makes $7.5 million next two years, and game has dropped off. It's actually three soldier, sh- shoulder surgeries. Is it not for Tarasenko? Yes. So uh, Jim made that this comment, and some people were saying it's, it's not the same thing. Like, one player is truly washed up in Duncan Keith, where the other player, Tarasenko, just had a fall off because he was banged up, coming off surgeries, and is going to come back strong. Mm-hmm. Bruce, for me, Tarasenko's like, it's two years at $7.5 million. He had a really bad year this past season. He was he was scoring at a fourth line level this year in the few games that he played. Three soldier shoulder surgeries in three years. I I would just man, I would go with Jaden Schwartz on two year deal or Thomas Tatar. I would not be interested in this myself. What about you? Seven point five million. That's not a full freight. I mean, he's asked St. Louis to trade him because apparently he has a difference of opinion with the team's doctors who did not find the problem with his shoulder, and they, which is why he needed multiple surgeries. He had some kind of a, you know, issue in his shoulder that was not fixed with the first, as I understand it, two surgeries. And finally he went, got another consultation and got it fixed somewhere else. And if it's fully fixed, I mean, this is a player who from 2014 to 2019, five straight years, he scored 37, 40, 39, 33, 33 goals. And he wow. scored between 66 and 75 points every one of those years. Model of Basically, consistency. Goal, goal, goal for every assist. Assist for every goal. Pumped him in. And now the last two years, though, on a $7.5 million contract, he scored three goals in 10 games and then four goals in 24 games. So he scored in the last two years, St. Louis paid him $15 million and he scored seven goals, over $2 million a goal. He's got two years left, 15 more million dollars to uh, to pay this guy out. And, you you know, if you invest those $15 million and the shoulder is not the same and he doesn't come back to his previous form, you are hooped. So, you know who outscored him at points per 60 this year, Bruce? James Neal. <laughs> James Neal, Bruce. Well, there you go. James Neal had that one. Guy. 1.44 points per 60 this year. And Tarasenko, okay. I think, had, where is it? 1.34 points per Neil, 60. Neil, Neil for Tarasenko, I'd consider that, you know. <laughs> or St. Louis retaining, you know. I mean, they're going to have to take a bad contract back or they're going to have to retain. They're dealing from a very weak position here. The players requested a trade. The players damaged goods. So all the teams are going to be trying to fleece St. Louis. So let's hope that Ken Holland is among those teams as opposed to the one being saying, well, he's he's the answer to your problem. Send us Ethan Bear and send us Ryan McLeod and send us, you know. I mean, no. He's, uh, uh, you know, nice in theory, but uh, you'd want to have real, real solid... um, uh, information from the doctors and preferably not from the St. Louis team doc- doctors that messed up the original surgery but have good independent medical advice on where he's at I'm, I would be you know to me the, like the red flag is just gigantic on this guy isn't it? My especially goodness. two more years at seven and a half yeah. yeah like let's say you could get them to retain half the contract which 
maybe they would maybe they i have no idea like um why would they do that they do i guess it's i I guess st louis why would st louis do that because they want to get rid of them they just they're tight like they're it's it's so poisoned between them but i mean for half that you could sign tatar or Jaden schwartz or both of them over the next two years for tarasenko's salary and you got then two chances with schwartz and tatar and Mm -hmm. um their Tatar's actually had a really good scoring at even strength this year. Like he was one of the, he was top line sc- scoring, I believe in the NHL. Uh, he didn't get played in the playoffs because for some reason Unreal. didn't fit their style of play, I guess. And, um, you know, you know, which is a red flag for Tatar yeah. as well, but it drives down his price and he's not banged up. Um, Jaden Schwartz is 20. Uh, where is he? Let me go to him. He, he, so he's 28 right now. Um, same age as Tatar, pretty much, and um, scored eight goals in forty games the year before. He twenty-two goals in seventy-one. So he's got some injury problems, obviously, as well that that he's been fighting through. And but I, he he'd be not that expensive, I don't think. So I don't know. I just you know, I, I guess if you're gra- like again, you're going for the Stanley Cup, you you're going to have to take some risks mm-hmm. to do that, and that's what's happened with Nugent Hopkins I think you know they they're they're betting on him rebounding and, and having a better year and I don't think that's a terrible bet in the short term for the next few years with Nugent Hopkins but how many of those bets for players forwards you know with some red flags heading into their 30s do you want to take especially on a on a on big money contracts now of course Tarasenko is just two years mm-hmm. so if you if you go with him and it doesn't work out well that's just two more years off Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl's prime, where you're, basically, <laughs> where you're basically hooped because you did not, because you bet on the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if they got no better use for their cap money, you might want to, you might want to look at that. Like if they get outbid yeah. on everything else, like this mm-hmm. is a plan C from, from planet X, that might be, um, that <laughs> might be, might be something that you would try. Plan nine from outer space. Huh? Yeah, is that was that the name of the movie? <laughs> Let me just look at our list here, Bruce. Tampa. Mm-hmm. We talked. I touched on Tampa a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's talk that the orders might be able to get a player mm-hmm. from Tampa, but Bruce, mm-hmm. that really isn't the Tampa model. Is to get players no. in heading into the 30s. No. This is that's the against the no. Like they did it a few times, right? They brought in Ryan C- C- Callahan. Um, Donna. Ryan McDonough, mm-hmm. you know, and the Callahan bet was flopped. They brought in Patrick, mm-hmm. Moore, but that was on a cheap contract. Mm-hmm. The Tampa model isn't to bring in players who are 29, 30, who are earning yeah. four or five, six million dollars, whatever it is, four or five million dollars a year, like Tyler Johnson or, or Palat, Andres Palat or um, Alex Kalorn. He's earning just, I think, $4.4 million a year, but mm-hmm. he's 32 or 33. That's not the Tampa model. The Tampa model is something else. And I, I think if I think it's a great model, yeah. and it's been talked about forever in Edmonton draft and develop, but we keep mm-hmm. going for the shiny thing, and and mm-hmm. Oiler fans are awfully tempted by that shiny thing, yep. you know that player who's twenty eight, twenty nine has had a good career, you know might have a few question marks, but you go for it anyway. The Tampa model is something else altogether, isn't it? Yeah, the Tampa model is built from within. You know, you look at the at their roster, and, and uh, uh, we've talked recently and written recently about the core 12 model, where you have uh, uh, 
top, number one goalie, top two defense pairs, top two forward lines, and the three center. And if you look at that model in, in uh, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, almost all of the guys were developed within Tampa Bay, uh, either drafted there or signed outright as free agents like Yanni Gord was, where he was signed as a 22-year-old free agent playing the East Coast League, and look where he is now, uh, developing their players within their own franchise uh, and paying them. Once, they, once they've established what they can do, they pay their own developed guys, right? Like all of, of I mean, it's not just their first-rounders, Stamkos, Hedman, Vasilevsky, you know, superstars at each of forward defense and goal. But their later draft picks, uh, Kalorn, Kucherov, for goodness sake, Braden Point, for goodness sake, Andre Palat, who was a seventh-round draft pick, terrific player. Anthony Sorelli, third-round pick, terrific player. Matthew Joseph. Uh, Ross Colton, a guy that scored the cup-winning goal. He was a fourth-round draft pick. He was the guy who replaced the fourth-round draft pick. They had to move on from last year because he was expensive, getting too expensive, Cedric Paquette. And they just keep finding new guys that they've drafted in the second, third, fourth, seventh round and pump them in the lineup. And when they prove they can play... They pay them. You know, they work their way up and then they get paid. And if you look at Tampa's payroll model, you'll see that of the top 13 salaries on the team, 12 of them are the core 12. The only guy that's getting paid who's outside the core 12 is Tyler Johnson, who's had some good seasons in, in Tampa and is still a good productive player. He scored the game-winning goal in the, in the previous win in the Stanley Cup Finals and was still finding ways to contribute. But... Everybody in their in their uh, core 12 gets paid. Almost all of them were developed from within. And even those that they acquired by trade, only uh, McDonough came to Tampa as a fully developed NHL player. They made and grossly won two trades to, to bring in two terrific young defensemen <sighs> in uh, Mikhail Sergachev and Eric Chernak, who's a wonderful player to my eye. I, I was just drooling over Chernak's play in the playoffs this year. Big, strong, tough, mean, move the puck, make plays, score points. He was doing it all. He's, he's only 23. 13th, he's the 13th highest paid player on the team at $2.9 million. They got 12 guys that are making $4 million and up. But guess what? Every one of those guys has a role. Guess also what? They have zero dead dead cap space. They got nothing in the way of buyouts, retained salary, any of that crap that the Oilers are dealing with, three or four guys deep year after year. They just don't seem to make mistakes, David. And, you know, they, they find the guys, they find the role for them, they say, okay, you're going to be our 3C for the next few years. We're going to pay you. Here's a six-year contract, $30 million, like they gave uh, uh, Yanni Gord. And he's paying off on that. And it's a wonderful model. They they, they, they perfected, I think, the, the, this is the best cap model that we've seen during the entire cap era. And, of course, there's lots of controversy about what happened with uh, Kucherov this year. They found the workaround of how they could afford to give big raises that were due to Vasilevsky, who got a $6 million raise, to uh, Sergeyev, who got a $4 million raise, to Chernak, who got a $2 million raise. And everybody thought they're going to have to move on from some of these veterans. And because of the Kucherov uh, caper, as I'll call it, uh, they uh, 
they were able to hold on to these guys for one more year. But now I think the die is cast that they're going to have to move on from some of these guys. I do think there's a value veteran to be found there on the trade market. But there's going to be enough teams looking for him. But Tampa's going to be able, they're not going to just give the guy away. They're going to be able to actually get something back for him. But Yeah. Well, good for, I think, Kuchar, I think with Kucherov, honestly, I think good for them. Like the rules are there. Oh. And your, your job is to win the Stanley Cup. And fix the rules, NHL. I'm out at the, the NHL. Fix the rules, NHL, that. but it's not up to Tampa to fix the rules. It's up to them to exploit the rules. And yeah. they did it. And I don't have a problem with it. Like, honestly, I don't. And I wish the Oilers would be in the same category, in the same kind of cagey, smart, tricky, sneaky, whatever it takes to win. Just just do it. Because it, this is what the NHL is about. And stop. Mm-hmm. don't complain about it. I haven't heard the Oilers themselves complain about it. But, right. Um, don't well, they ran, they ran a $90, $90 million team in the playoffs. They were basically exactly $9.5 million over the regular season salary cap because they added Kucherov, who they paid zero cap hit for the and entire I, I season. Think- it, was, it was kind of sleazy. And the timing of both his surgery and his recovery is a little bit dodgy. And that it just worked out, just happened to work out just perfect. But, you know, they, they, they stick handled around and through the existing rules. It's up to the NHL to fix that. Exactly. And, to me, Julian Brisebois, the GM of Tampa, is a genius. Like, he's well, got it going yeah. on. Brilliant. I don't say sleazy, I say brilliant. Those are the rules. It's possible it. to be both. <laughs> it is possibly both. Sleazy and brilliant. I will, I'll meet you halfway and say that. It's sleazy and brilliant. Uh-huh. Kalorin is not 32 or 33. He's 31 now, I believe. Right. Uh, so I was incorrect on that. Yeah, so, you know, there's, there's a couple... So, so everyone in Edmonton, including me, is thinking, who can we trade? Like, who can we get off Tampa? That's, but that's the loser's game here is to think, who can you get off Tampa at, at top dollar? The winner's game for Edmonton is something that Ken Holland has talked about, like patience, right. continuity. And, and this means building from within. And you have three players. You had the best line in the AHL, probably, a- AHL last year, in Cooper Marodi, Ryan McLeod, and Tyler Benson. And, and in Edmonton, the, the, the thing seems to be, oh, well, is Cooper Marodi even going to stick around? You know, Cooper Marodi at the same the age is having years just like Yanni Gord had in the AHL, same kind of scoring level. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to throw him out the window? And Tyler Benson, well, you know, people are, well, he's not fast enough, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you have these guys. Are they even going to get a chance in Edmonton before you discard them? Or are you going to go for some older player in Tampa who maybe you know from Tampa, who who they have you know can't afford, maybe can can help them, maybe can't help them going forward, and put all your eggs in that basket. Keep you, you know, this isn't the right model. It's not the right thinking, Bruce. To be right. and you talked about buyouts. They don't have like is the right thinking to be even thinking buyouts. Maybe you just suffer through it, and, and you you don't buy out. So you don't screw your team going forward. Now again, if there is oh. a really good player you can get in in place of that. But do you buy out James Neal so you can make a bet on a 29-year-old player on a long-term contract who's going to make fall flat on his face? So there are different ways of winning in the NHL, but doing the buyout and then signing Zach Hyman with that money isn't the Tampa way. That's not that's not what we're seeing. So if we're going to be consistent and push that Tampa model, I, I think the idea is, well, you're very, very careful about long-term right. contracts. And you... Right. And you, maybe Nuge made sense. He's your guy. He, well, that, he's an internal signing. To me, Nuge yeah. is the same guy in many respects as uh, Kalorn, Palat, 
uh, you know, Sorelli is is coming through that that uh, uh, through that mold. Gord, you know, that came up in the team, proved himself, and they invested six, seven years in these guys, four, four and a half, five, five and a half million dollars. They always done the same thing with Nugent Hopkins. So they got one of those guys. It's like that. They, Tampa's got four or five of these mid-level guys that uh, that they developed themselves, and they paid internally a fair price. Uh, and they, you know, they believed in their guys and they paid them long term and they're getting the payback. The other thing that's totally different between the two, unrestricted free agents. Okay, I mean, on the one side, we already know about all the damage that's done in the, in the Edmonton's dead cap space, right? Uh, Benoit Pouliot, they're still paying for that guy. Andrei Sekera, uh, Milan Lucic, you got these big... Um, cap penalties that remain in the dead cap space. But even on the current Oilers roster, these guys all dressed in the playoffs for Edmonton that were signed as unrestricted free agents. Chris Russell, Mick Koskinen, Alex Chason, Mike Smith, Josh Archibald, Tyson Berry, Dominic Cahoon, Slater Cuckoo, Devin Shore. About $20 million in cap hit. We had a, had a quick add. On the Tampa side, these are their unrestricted free agents that they signed. Pat Maroon, Luke Shen, Curtis McElhenney, three guys, $3 million total that they invested in free agents. They built their team from inside out, and they built it beautifully. Like okay, I'm, so so Oiler fans, though, will roast. The Oilers will get, Ken Holm will get roasted if he doesn't sign a UFA, a big exactly. name. He will get roasted. So so is the, if, if as an Oiler fan, are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Because maybe the solution is to support a GM who might say, hey, we're not going to go for any, we're going to make a couple small kind of Tyson Berry like bets in the short term, but mm-hmm. we are building from within. We're not going to tie up our cap into the future because when, when it's time to pay Ryan McLeod, when it's time to pay Raphael Lavoie, Philip Broberry, Evan Bouchard, we want to have the money and we won't have that money if mm-hmm. we tie up all this money in Zach Hyman or Vladimir Tarasenko uh, or... Tarasenko's only on a two-year deal, but right. it's just our thinking as fans here mm-hmm. maybe has to change a little bit. And, you know, before this was the Tampa model, this was the Detroit model, Bruce. It was mm-hmm. imported from Detroit to Tampa. Yep. And Ken Holland is the was given credit yeah. at one point for developing. So he, he knows he knows what... Eiserman is, is Holland's disciple and um, Brisebois is Eiserman's disciple. Like, so what is the pressure? (laughs) So what's the market pressure on? What's the different market pressure on Holland? Is there a different like to win now with McDavid and Drysdale? And we like we always hear this. Well, McDavid would be happy if they get Duncan Keith, or McDavid would probably be happy if they get so and so Tarasenko. I haven't heard that yet about Tarasenko yet. But like this idea that Connor McDavid would be happy with this or that veteran player coming in, you know, that's not. You can't necessarily go with what Connor McDavid wants. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to, w- if you're going to win and win long-term, if you're going to follow the Tampa model, which I would be in favor of them doing and bringing in, like running that line of Benson, Marodi, and McLeod. I talked about this a month ago. How about that as your third or fourth line next year? Try that and see which of, which of those players stick. That's mm-hmm. the Tampa model. But who, who will applaud Ken Holland if he does that this summer? Well, here's one place he could go. How about winning a trade? You know, Tampa, I mean, these are the guys I got from trade. Chernek, Sergachev, McDonough that we talked about already. Jan Ruta, 
they got by trade. Just a useful depth player. Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow each cost them first-round draft choices. A heavy price to pay, but they when the time came to invest their draft choices to go now for the cup, they got two guys that helped them win two cups. And David Savard, who somehow, with all the ca- cap shenanigans this year, they were able to work out a deal with two teams to, to take on three-quarters of his cap, squeeze him in under the last last bit, and uh, add a, you know a, a, an excellent, experienced defenseman for a cup run. I mean, you could argue that Tampa won every one of those trades in the sense that they got what they needed from the trade. Uh, so, so to me, the surest sign, and I agree with you, like win a trade. Like they lost <laughs> really? the Athanasio trade. You know, mm-hmm. there's extenuating circumstances. There's always excuses, right? You lose yep. the trade, there's excuses. They lost the Athanasio trade. They blew it mm-hmm. with the tourist signing. You know, they, you know, the, the, you, our mileage will vary on the Neil for Lucic trade. I, I still I support think it. I think they lost the trade, frankly. I, or Calgary yeah. won it. Calgary won it better than Edmonton won it. And I think both guys needed the trade to change the scenery. So, yeah, I just think the the sure sign that the Oilers have lost the plot going forward is probably, you know, I'd love to see Zach Hyman come here, but I think it's, it's, that's, that might be the sure sign that the Oilers have lost the plot is if they, or if they, if they give big money to a guy, another guy heading into their thirties that they don't, you know, from another, that Toronto decides to move on from essentially, right. at, you know, pretty smart organization. Some people don't think that about the Leafs. I do. I think mm-hmm. actually that that Dubas is a smart GM, and if he's making that calculation, that to me that says something, and it should be a red flag for the Oilers. That's one red flag on Zach Hyman right there. Even though everything else, there's so much I like about that idea. Right. That's a red flag. That Toronto's decided that they want to win the Cup as much as anyone else, and they're moving on from the player. They're not going to pay him market value because they don't think that's a good bet. Bruce, the, the surest sign though. That, that you are that the orders have lost the plot is if they move Samarukov or Lavoie in a Duncan Keith trade, yeah. yeah, that would be like, like I can see there's always room like I like a, bringing in Duncan Keith on a it's just two years Tarasenko's just two years so these shorter term deals are never as disastrous so I'm not I'm a little less critical of whatever happens there but if you move a, if you move a, a, like a, a really strong bet as a prospect for Duncan Keith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should be fired. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tampa traded some prospects along the way, and, and I suppose if you looked around the league, you could find a few guys that came out of the Tampa system. Carter Verhaeg? Uh, uh, yeah. There was a, he, they couldn't afford to sign him last summer just because they were so up against it on the cap at the time. Is that what happened? They wound up letting him go. Okay. Yeah. That was before the Kucherov solution Did they? Uh, came along. Did they did they trade him or did they just? He went as a free agent and he was a steal for Florida, so that you know that was one that got away. Uh, And I know they traded a a little basket of of uh, prospects for uh, McDonough, but uh, those were guys like uh, Nemestikov, you know, who's an okay player. They traded for Ruta. They traded our man Slater Cuckoo, who was a, uh, a first-round draft pick, 10th overall draft pick for Tampa years ago. It didn't really work out in Tampa. They got something for him. They moved him on. They actually got a useful player back for him. And Druan yeah. for Sergachev, the ultimate oh. master stroke. Was that ever brilliant? Was that ever a killer trade? Oh. Was that ever smart? Man, that had to be killing Montreal fans in the finals. I mean, uh, Drouin's not even on the team on personal leave. 
and uh, there's Sergachev just ripping it up for the for the bolts. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I guess where I end up in all of this discussion is Bruce is I'm real careful on the buyouts unless mm-hmm. there's unless there's something obviously that's a really good bet, probably not a long term bet for the Oilers even. Like you 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 want to. You can you you think you can bring in let's say Tatar and Schwartz on on short term contracts and maybe a defenseman of the same uh, same milk and you so you're you're making these kind of interesting bets that are more short term bets, um, with that buyout money, that that would work for me. But I really really want to see I like deep down I'm I'm I, I I'm very conservative on giving these players into their thirties money, mm-hmm. and acquiring players at that age. Right. And my thing is you know. Go with the kids. Mm-hmm. You've developed them. I, mm-hmm. I think there's clear signals that you're you're you have developed players in your farm system that deserve a chance. Give them that chance. Have the courage to give them that chance. Don't cl- even if the coach even if <laughs> even if the coach is determined. One of my thoughts is no matter who the Oilers acquire at left defense, ten games into the season, Chris Russell will be playing there, Bruce. So even even <laughs> or if the right coach, defense, <laughs> even if or right defense, whoever it is, don't don't worry about it. Chris Russell's yeah. whoever, like even oh. if the coach is determined, like likes his veterans and mm-hmm. and is determined, to, like trust the players you're developing. Try that okay. because there's enough there. And here, here's here's the kicker for you on on Tampa's core twelve that we talked about. Every last one of the twelve is already signed for next season, and many of them are signed all the way through twenty twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. Even I think Vasilevsky, and uh, the only only because the cap is going to catch up and they're going to have to move some of these guys that they're going to have to fill holes. But as of right now, they got twelve core twelve players all signed. Edmonton has five core 12 players, at least the core 12 as I identified it, who are signed and seven who are free agents. They, they got one of them, Nugent Hopkins looked after, but they got a lot of holes and, and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of problems to solve. And some of it, I mean, you can sign Adam Larson internally, that'll solve one of those holes. But most of the guys, many of the guys in the core 12, I'm not sure you necessarily even want to bring them back. I mean, Cahoon is one of them. Kara is one of them. Kulikov is one of them. You, you know, yeah, well, Smith, maybe, Smith, maybe, Smith maybe is one yet. of them. You know, I mean, are so they I would bring back above Smith. average guys for their for their position? And whereas you can look at Tampa's core 12 and say every single guy on that is either least average or above average for the position that he's in. I'd, I'd like to see the Oilers, like if they're going to spend some money on a longer term deal, now that they've signed Nuge, I'd like to see them sign Larson mm-hmm. on a reasonable deal. I I the I like uh, Skinner, but even if let's say Skinner develops or Konovalov or one of these players, Mike Smith is old, and Koskinen I don't think is the answer. So right. if the Oilers were to make a big move, I would like I would like you know the Markstrom thing I didn't like because he's mm-hmm. the wrong age. But if it's a, if it's a younger goalie who they're going to spend three four like four or five million dollars a year on on a four or five year deal, mm-hmm. that that to me makes sense for the Oilers. Then you then you got Mike Smith and that goalie, and then after that you have that goalie and either Skinner or Konovalov or someone else. Or so so that's a good plan. I I don't like the idea of betting big on a forward who's heading into his 30s. You've you've made that bet already on Nuge. That's your bet there. Don't do it again. Don't double down on that that particular strategy. Go for the short term thing, um, and see how that works out and promote from within. 
that would be my take on the summer. We'll draft some guys that are worth promoting from within who can actually grow into the roles that they have. I mean, what, what Tampa has done right is they've consistently come up with fabulous draft picks on the Saturday draft. And then whatever they're doing right in their farm system, I mean, you wrote a post about this, David, about all these guys in the Tampa model who spent at least one full year in their farm team. And that doesn't conclude Kucherov or Point, who, who, who moved up faster and didn't need a whole year down there, but a whole bunch of guys who did, and they gave them that time and then moved them up. That is the Detroit model. But well, do you they, think the orders have done that, Bruce? So this is my point. Is My, my real point I is, well, I no, but I think they have now. with they're, Well, they're the starting and, to. And No, they haven't done it in the past, right. but are they doing it? Are we ready for that kind of transition to that sane mo- franchise modeling now? Or are we... Are we never going to transition? Because to transition, you actually have to leave roster spots open. You can't yeah. fill it with 28, 29-year-olds. You have to well, say, you okay. Sign, you better sign Devin Shore right away because, you know, you sure need another four left wing on top of the ones that you have that are clamoring to get Fair into enough. the team. Fair enough. He, that, I, that's I, the I, beef with that signing, is that? Yeah, he's, whole, he's more of a 13th forward, though, don't you think? But fair enough. That's a fair comment on your part. So might Tyler Benson be if there wasn't another twenty-eight-year-old guy in his way? Would you bet? Would you like to see two out of the three, Benson, Rody, and McLeod on the team next year? Do you oh, think sure. that they're ready? Okay, so we're on the same. I don't page mind the them. idea of the whole the, the the three of them, but I certainly think I mean McLeod has has made his statement, and Benson has run out of waiver options, and I, I think there's a good chance he'll be on the team, whether they're you know given a chance as line mates and so on, or whether they're just kicking around coach's decision one night, seven minutes on the fourth line, the next night, you know, give them a role and a, and a consistent chance at a, at a uh, you know, at, at establishing some consistency would be ideal. And I'm not, I can't say I'm overly confident that that's what we're going to see. I guess one signal will be with the expansion list. Do they protect Benson? Because there's a talk that uh, Tampa might, or excuse me, Seattle might take uh, Tyler Benson, possibility, and um, you know, you so you can protect Zach Cassian or Josh Archibald, or you can protect Tyler Benson. What's your pick? Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting. And it's Bruce. We uh, nothing has happened yet. We'll we'll <laughs> end up here. It's my final comment. Nothing's happened yet. It's been the some, some, one right. GM was telling I can't remember who I think it was mm-hmm. Lawton the nothing happening league the NHL <laughs> nothing's happening right now until expansion. Probably the yeah. one of the first signals we're going to get is who the Oilers protect or not, and if they protect Benson, that's a, maybe a signal that they're forward thinking in terms of being going down the Tampa old Detroit Red Wings style of play as opposed to. Uh, chasing that shiny, th- chasing that shiny thing, Bruce. Well, if Ken Holland doesn't follow the Detroit model, then I'm not sure who in the hell is going to. You know, I mean, <laughs> you'd like to think, you know, what he's going to have to put his money where his mouth is and and uh, uh, start making spaces for these guys to actually get the opportunity to prove themselves. Alrighty, well, let's leave it there. Let's leave it there, Bruce. Sure. I think we've gone from pillar to post. Yeah. All right. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.